Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Right, I have a bone to pick with you, Nicola. Oh, this is why you wanted to start this week. This is Liz. I'm Liz. Oh, no. I'm Liz. It's Liz. (laughs) It's Liz. Liz Liz Jones. It's Liz. Yeah, I'm Nick. I still don't have my alternative birthday gift. You, you don't. Can't, you can't give me a pair of wide trousers from Next. They weren't. They were Zara. And, ta- and say you'll send them back, and then I don't get a replacement. I wish I had gotten from Next. Now you've said that, just to torture you, just to, just for the pleasure of torturing you. No, I haven't had a chance yet. But you are getting a replacement. You haven't had a chance yet. She's been to see Tom Jones. That was before. And Darren Brown. That was that was in the evening. I will. I will sort something else out. I will. You know. You know. You know. You're getting a candle anyway. <laughs> I'm going for the safe option. Well, I've had quite a week, really. I've had quite a week of being trolled on Twitter again. It's almost as though I'm a member of the Tory cabinet, isn't it? Really, <laughs> you are the new Boris Johnson. <laughs> well, it sort of started really because it's a bit of an Amy Winehouse week. Now, she would have celebrated her birthday this week and she would have been 38, which seems absolutely improbable. Unbelievable. That she would be nearly 40. Because her first album came out and I think she was about 20. So it's absolutely unbelievable. And what a career she would have had. Think of all the records we'd now have on Sonos. You know, it's tragic. 27 when she died. Terrible. 27. Terrible. Oh, I hadn't even learned to speak when I was 27. I was a very late developer. but And you were still a virgin. <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't done anything or, written, or really put my head above the parapet or been on a date with a boy. I'd done nothing. So I've got a new book, which is called Beyond Black, and it's by Naomi Parry. And it's really like a scrapbook of all her looks. And you know the beehive got bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, it wasn't actually her hair. They were called hair babies, and they were round balls of fake hair in net, and she just pinned them to the back of her head. Yeah. They weren't real hair at all. Yeah. I'm not surprised, actually, because that would have been a hell of a lot of backcombing. She'd have been bald by the time she was, like, Well, she could have had mice mice living in it. (laughs) Could have had anything living in it. And then there was a documentary on BBC Two, uh, which I watched, called A Life in Ten Pictures. And it's a very good format because it takes ten, sometimes never seen before, sometimes quite famous pictures. And it tells you that person's life through those snapshots. And I was merrily watching away, merrily watching her away. And I have always been very interested in her because she had an eating disorder because the press called her chubby. Um, and so I can sort of relate to that. What What is that trigger? What's that switch that makes us suddenly start obsessing about what we eat? And I felt a bit more of an affinity to her. And I did see her at Glastonbury 
um, in 2008, and I took my nephew to Glastonbury, yeah, and she performed, that. and she was quite shambolic. Um, but I wasn't the only one who said she was shambolic. The Guardian gave her terrible reviews. And I always felt an affinity to Amy because Back to Black, her su- most successful album, was all about her breakup. So she wrote about real people in her life. She didn't shy away from it. She didn't pretend it was somebody else. She didn't do fiction. And one of her friends said that she had to go on stage for years singing Back to Black, bringing up all the hurt Mm. and the betrayal and the tears. You could see her crying on stage because she had to keep singing those songs about her ex. So it's a little bit like Liz Jones and her archive. Just like it. Isn't it? Just like it. We have to keep digging up the ex-husband and the ex-boyfriends and reliving the hurt. Just make sure you bury them again. Just bury them again. But then there was a moment she had some lovely girlfriends and her friend Katie said some of the stuff that was written about Amy, people would not get away with it now. A big newspaper started calling her Amy Decline House and she didn't have a hope in hell when people are talking about her like that, calling her Amy Decline House. And I was sitting there watching, thinking, oh, dear, that's terrible. I would never do anything like that. (laughs) And then immediately... Oh, dear. dear. (laughs) Immediately, Twitter started going, ping, 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 ping. Oh, dear. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe some more cat pictures or something. And I opened my Twitter app And there were all these tweets saying, Liz, you are a bully. You you attacked her. You made her kill herself. You made her descend into alcohol. You made her life misery. And lots of people sent me a piece in the mail on Sunday that I wrote in December 2007, which I'd forgotten about. And the heading on my piece was Amy Declinehouse. That's where it originated. But you probably don't often remember your headlines, do you? Because you don't write them. I don't write the headlines. And I hadn't actually remembered I'd written an opinion piece about Amy. The same as I once wrote a comment piece in a review of her memoir of Talisa. Do you remember Talisa, the pop star? Yeah. And I must have been quite mean in the review because I was at a post-celebrity Big Brother party and Talisa came up to me and she said, Liz, I forgive you. And I was like, oh, God, what for? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, unfortunately, all the trolling on Twitter came because people read Amy Declinehouse and my name. Yeah. And they were saying, how can you stick up for Emma Raducanu and her anxiety and say that we need to be kinder to people when you wrote that about Amy? I think as well, times have changed, haven't they? But so I, no, they haven't changed because I didn't write it and I didn't write that headline. No, but I mean, in general, I think we know now, we've seen the effects that, that online bullying, not, I'm not talking about your piece, but online bullying and, and being mean can have. And I think, really, we are more aware and we're more careful now about what we say. Well, shall I just quickly read that piece and then we can yeah. make a decision? Do it. So this is now our archive this week. I'm not doing back to black on stage and crying. This is my archive from 2007. 
There was Amy, pictured in the early hours of Sunday morning, wandering the streets of East London, dressed only in a pink bra, jeans and tattoos. She'd lost the trademark heavy eye makeup and elaborate beehive, the hair babies, and in their place was the pale moon face of a frightened, lonely little girl who had everything. Looks, talent, money, love, and now has nothing. Her husband, Blake, is in Pentonville prison awaiting trial on a charge of grievous bodily harm. Amy's career is now on hold, having been booed off stage last month for being incoherent and hostile. She's cancelled the remainder of her UK tour. Her skin has the texture of rice pudding. She has no flesh on her bones. Even her teeth have started to fall out because of the abuse. She is, according to her mother-in-law, on cocaine and heroin. She's been inflicting on her body. Let me immediately say I deplore this infuriatingly talented singer's selfish weakness, her suicidal self-obsession. Pity should be reserved for those who have tragedy inflicted upon them, like young cancer victims, not self-destructive junkies such as Amy. She's a role model who influences the thinking of countless impressionable teenagers, and her behaviour deserves our condemnation. But at the same time, I want to ask, why isn't anybody helping Amy? Why hasn't her record company which must have made a fortune from her multi-platinum selling albums, booked her into a secure rehab. Why has her family not taken control, locked her up, talked sense into that mixed-up, super-talented head? Why, on Sunday morning, was there nobody around who could coax her inside, wrap her in a blanket, rock her in their arms until the demons abated? You might wonder, on the other hand, whether the constant attention from the media, the fascination with her decline, is fueling her desire to be, I don't know, Janis Joplin. She feels her behaviour is only vindicated if it's seen. Perhaps you wonder if, because she's famous, her pain isn't real. That because her photo appears in a magazine or a newspaper, it somehow diffuses what's happening. Well, neither way of thinking is particularly helpful. You see, sometimes I think my writing's too subtle, because at the beginning, I write... I'm not sure subtle's the word I'd use. Hang on. Don't criticise me. No, it's not criticism. I'm just not sure subtle is the word I'd use. Yeah, I do sometimes think um, you have to be very, very clear. You can't be subtle when you're writing because people perhaps read something very quickly and perhaps they only got this far. But what I was doing there was creating an argument of the way people think about her because later I say, neither way of thinking is particularly helpful. But what's important to understand about an addict is they cannot be helped. They cannot be helped even by their family. You see, I criticised their family earlier. I'm now saying, actually, your family's helpless. They can't yeah. do anything. Remember, I had a sister who died and a sister-in-law who died from alcohol. We couldn't help them, whatever no. we did. My sister used to call the police on my sister driving. Um, I sent my sister to rehab in Switzerland. Nothing helps. You can't help them. You have you to can't make decisions yourself. With money. You can't help them with forcing them to go to rehab because, believe me, we tried to help yeah. my sister. We tried to help my sister-in-law. Couldn't do it. So an addict has to decide to help themselves. And fame doesn't act as a buffer when it comes to pain. 
you might think, oh, well, Liz Jones, you know, she's had an awful resort, she lost the house, she's bankrupt, but, you know, she's in the paper, she's probably okay. I'm not okay, thanks. And it's actually, real. actually, other people get to do it privately, don't they? If, you've, if you're an addict, if your husband has an affair, if you are anorexic, if, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, everyone knowing about it, everyone knowing when I go into Boots to buy some toothpaste, my card might not work. It's bloody humiliating. Yeah. Anyway, back to the archive. I wouldn't say being famous causes these problems, but I would wager that those who struggle with demons are more likely to enter a profession that is out of the ordinary. Again, and I'm bigging my own self up here, very good point. If you're... A plod along, don't particularly get stressed by anything. You're not going to write back to black, are you? No. You're not going to go on stage and perform. Famous people tend to be people who have an autistic temperament, can be quite fragile, can be very up and down, can be full of self-doubt, but also have an enormous ego. That's a dangerous cocktail. Well, it's part of the creativity that drives you, isn't it, yeah. to succeed? And, and to produce artistic work. And I think you're right. I think if you're very calm and it, it doesn't necessarily work well for an artist, you've got to have those emotions. You've got to yeah. have those highs and lows. As the father of a budding, aspiring actress, um, she attended one of my self-help groups for eating disorders, told me, I just wish my daughter was a bit more ordinary, that she didn't rail against the world and was happy to plod along. Amy is a textbook candidate for addiction. Like many bright young women who didn't feel that attractive or confident as a little girl, me as well, mm. I couldn't look in the mirror when I was five. That's how early it started with me. Yeah. Amy developed an inner fantasy life that was much more interesting, very useful if you're a songwriter, very unhelpful if you're trying to grow up. These introverted young women are hard to fathom. On the one hand, they need an artificial prop to face the world. On the other, they secretly feel too special to act like everyone else. They think they deserve an interesting life and they'll go to great lengths to get it. A friend of mine has a daughter who became addicted to heroin at the age of 16. The girl was bright and was destined for great things. She'd write poems and songs... And at a very young age, her parents told her she wished they would get... An, uh, sorry, she would write poems and songs. And at a very young age, she told her parents she wished they'd get divorced so they wouldn't be so mind-numbingly boring. These young women can be incredibly powerful and headstrong. I have a friend with an addict daughter who's now severely brain-damaged due to an overdose she took when she was 19 at Glastonbury. Before that... My friend was often afraid of her daughter and seemed not to want to interfere or ask prying questions for fear of the child flying into a rage. Addicts are also extremely secretive. My friend had no idea her daughter was on heroin until it was too late. She thought her daughter was pale and thin because she had an eating disorder. I'm sure for many women, particularly perhaps for Amy Winehouse, drugs have the side effect of keeping you interestingly cadaverous. Female addicts will often seem weak. Female addicts will often seek weak codependent men who do what they're told. When my friend's daughter's boyfriend decided to get clean, she ditched him for another who would steal for her, deal for her, and take heroin with her. 
The family of an addict are often the last to know something is wrong. My parents never knew I was anorexic. The family are often helpless to do anything about it. My brother's wife, she was a vibrant and beautiful mother of his daughters, became an alcoholic. Only when his daughters finally confessed, they often came home from school to find her unconscious on the floor, surrounded by empty bottles, did he realise something was amiss. But he couldn't force her to stop drinking. She lost her job, she was a teacher, her husband, her children, her looks and her home. Like Amy, she had everything to live for, but deep down she thought she wasn't worth saving. My friend frog-marched her heroin-addicted daughter to rehab, but said, I knew there was no hope for her when she just rolled her eyes. It's easy to lose patience with addicts. They become ugly. I mean, look at the pictures accompanying my piece of Amy with mm. makeup all over her face. Well, they're so difficult to deal with. They ultimately become boring. I remember meeting my sister-in-law for lunch and she was so inebriated she couldn't put food in her mouth. Instead, it would tumble down her front. She had nothing to say. It's the banality of addicts we need to emphasise when we write about them and talk about them. That would warn children of drugs and drink. You get ugly, you get boring. It's not glamorous. It's not attractive. Pete Doherty, gosh, remember him, might seem thin, dangerous, anti-establishment. But you've seen him, as I have, attack a young female photographer. You'd think, how revolting. I remember once talking to Patty Boyd. She was married to George Harrison. And I asked her what it was like being married to Eric Clapton, himself a one-time heroin addict. And she said that in the end, the last thing she saw was glamour or excitement. Oh, here's an interesting sentence I wrote about Amy in 2007. I cannot see Amy reaching the age of 25. Wow. And I'm trolled on Twitter. Wow. She needs something to happen that will shock her so badly she'll seek help. So, even though that night was very upsetting, and I know I shouldn't get upset by Twitter, and I know I should turn my phone off, when you actually read the piece, I'm on Amy's side. I'm on her family's side. I am addicted to not eating. I could understand... And I said, she's going to be dead soon. Yeah. So why troll me for that? I didn't write the headline. Because people... I didn't write Decline House. People will jump on things. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, people will jump on things, won't they? People will always find something to disagree but with. But what they do is they read the high headline, they don't read anything else. They just do a pile-on. Mm. Trolls will get you for anything, and they won't listen to your yeah. arguments. But I was very upset by being called a bully because the headline on my piece was Amy Decline House. Because even if I'm writing about the Met Ball or the Oscars, um, Emma Raducanu, Princess Diana, I try not to be mean and hurtful Mm. because I know what it's like. And I think and I've been a journalist for 40 years, I think I've succeeded. So when someone brings up a heading from 2007 accuses me of being a bully, my heart's going, my breathing's going. And you didn't write it. No, I didn't write it, but I was feverishly reading through the piece to see if I had called her that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, hopefully that puts them back in the box, because actually I was on Amy's side. Yeah. And And as a journalist... 
it can't all be unicorns and roses, can no. it? It can't all be rainbows. You have to talk about things realistically. Yeah. Doesn't you can do it in a kind way. You can do it in a way that's not mean. But you you can't lie. You can't sort of not tell the truth about. So something. what that girl on that documentary should have said. But actually, I read the piece. And she said Dame Amy will be dead by the time she's 25 and we need to stage some sort of intervention. Yeah. Maybe it would have helped. Yeah, the whole thing's terrible, the whole thing's really sad. You really see, I'm, sad. Not, I'm not ever mean about Megan. Not just because oh, we've got God. the same hair, but... And, and Ara's one. And Ara's one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's adopted a beagle... She became an actress. Probably the hardest thing you poss possibly do is to have be a success of an act as an actress, and you have to have nerves of steel. I'm not even mean about Megan. But everything's light and shade, isn't it? Our own characters are light and shade. It, what people think of you is like everything. You can read this week's diary in full on Man on Sunday's You magazine. Read any boring books this week? Well, I've, yeah, I, no, it's not boring. My books are not boring. My, one of them, one of them was. Oh, shut up. Well, I've done two things this week. I have watched the Holden Girls, which I love, love, love. Explain what it is. The Holden Girls is uh, Amanda Holden, and her her nana comes to live with her. Now, I thought it was real. I thought it was her oh, isn't real nana. No, it? no, my mum. I thought it was real, and I was chatting on the phone to my mum. Well, going, what's the point of doing a program where it isn't? Well, it's your meant nan. to be a documentary. It is hilarious. It is hilarious. But I learned two things right through my mum: that a it wasn't real. It was it was a sort of set up comedy thing, and it is. It's very very funny. I mean, oh, I'd rather it was real actually. Well, it wouldn't be this funny. But I also learned. I also learned. This is this is a revelation to me that Keith Lemon isn't a real person. Yeah, but everyone knows that. Cause no, he, he they used don't. To, no, but did you not see when he used to dress up as Scary Spice and Michael Jackson? No, no, no. I'd never heard of Lee I Francis. Just, I just wonder what she does with her time most of the time because she just doesn't see and hear and I read just, everything. Well, I don't watch a lot of telly. But my yes, mum's going on do. about Lee. You it's... watch more telly than I do. I don't. Oh, I binge-watched the whole thing during the night when I couldn't sleep. Oh, well, that's different no at the minute. No wonder you're always late. At the minute, I'm on, on Charlie Watch, aren't I? So I'm watching everything. My eyes are like squares. But I'd never heard You've Lee You've never Francis. seen him as Scary Spice. No! It's, you've got to watch it on YouTube. It's the funniest thing. And him as Michael Jackson. No! Ow! Ow! Come on, Shimon! Ow! You've never seen him as Michael Jackson? I thought that was the Bo Selector bloke. That's him! Is it? Yeah! I, <laughs> I thought... Oh, for God's sake. It's like... She's like a newly born fetus. But, but yeah, but just look at all these things I'm discovering. I'm 51 and I'm discovering all this I'm new sure stuff. I'm sure you're more than 51. But you're like a fetus. How could you not know that Bo Selector is the same chap as Keith Lemon in his Scary Spice? Well... No, my mum. My mum. The funniest thing about him being me. scary, Pisces, is he's always in leopard skin, leopard print, and he's got the voice of a bloke. It's absolutely oh. and really hairy legs and a beard. It's absolutely. I'll have to look it up. You've got to watch. But it. I'm sort of upset though because I really so thought it was a real person. Do? Oh, are you talking about Amanda Holden? Yeah, she, yeah. Who who looks just absolutely beautiful every single minute of every single day? I mean, she just looks incredible. At all times. How the hell do you do that? 
Well, she looks better now than she was when than when she was twenty. Oh my God, she looks amazing. It's like Alexandra Burke in Celebrity SAS. She looks absolutely Alexandra amazing. Burke, she must have those lashes that are cemented on. Do you remember I had them once? Those yeah. lash, lash extensions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're really great. These lash extensions because you can wake up and you've got eyes rather than the little sort of pinpricks in the snow. But Every two weeks, you have to have a professional to comb them and place them all facing the same way. So I think Ant, the SAS man, is coming on set and he's having to comb Alexander very manly, isn't he? He's He's not my type, but he's very manly. Yeah, but everyone else looks suitably shit. But she looks incredible. Do you know what I mean? Because she's got those lashes cemented on. Well, she's literally... I mean, she is a goddess. And I have also been reading Kate Humble's A Year of Living Simply. Who? Kate Humble. I hate her. Well, this book is excellent. This book, no, it's not another boring book. It's excellent. She's that farming woman, isn't she? She is. It's a good no, book, though. No, no, she's banned from this podcast. She has all these series on how to live in the countryside. She's holding a little lamb. No, she's a farmer. No, but this is this is I can't stand different. Her. So I yeah, how to live simply when you've got several TV deals. Well, this is one of my points. I was expecting one of those minimalists. Nick, she eats lamb. She raises them and eats them. Yeah, I know. That's not part of this book. Uh, this is this is something different. Yeah, but it's her whole brand. Would you read a self-help book by Hitler? No, you wouldn't. Well, it's not, it's not actually a self-help book. It's more of a diary. And I was expecting more of a, a minimalist vibe, you know, like living in a white room with one sofa, how to live simply. I was expecting the same old, same old. And this is more of a diary. And she's got, she's, she's, she obviously, like you say, she's, she's in the media. She interviews and goes and does, like, really interesting things. So from, from that point of view, it's very easy for her to live simply. She's got a gardener. She, she, she grows her own food via, you know, someone that comes in and helps her. She goes off to interview people about these amazing eco things. And I learned a lot. I learned about the um, things they're doing in Amsterdam where they've got cafes where you can go and get things repaired for free rather than buying new things. I learned about uh, share shops that they're opening in Amsterdam and what? it's now coming to Wales. You need to say share, it again. Share shop. It's a share share shop where people donate things and then you can go and borrow them. You pay a very small amount for a membership and you can borrow them. I think she's just trying to make herself seem nice. Yeah, uh, uh, maybe. I mean, I just found these sort of innovations that Has I she didn't got know children? about. Uh, I don't think so. She had dogs. Um, there's a lot of growing, cooking, sewing, and mending. And I think realistically, we don't all have time for that. You know, I mean, it's it's the good life, isn't it? And you you need time to go out and spend five hours in your garden and then patch up your jeans while putting fresh yeah. bread on. You need time for that. But it did sort of make me think about. What can you do as an individual? And I haven't got time to do gardening and grow my own veg, but I can commit to not buying new stuff that I don't need because we do You'd that such a lot. You'd have time to do your garden, Nick, if you watch less episodes of Killing Eve. I'm not. I'm just not swapping. I'm just not swapping. I'm not doing it. I, I think this, this is incredibly bourgeois. I'm minimalist, and the reason I'm mil- minimalist is because I've had to sell everything. I've sold my books. I've sold clothes, shoes, bags, the pink sofas that I bought off you for the same price you bought them for. You're not bitter. Um, My piano. I've sold everything. And I think this is bourgeois 
some rich woman who raises lambs telling the rest of us proles what we should do. Bugger off. Well, she makes some really good points about how humans are designed to live in a community. And I'm not in a community. We would have supported... Well, that's that's what we're sort of designed for, isn't it? We're designed to live in a group with different skills that would help and support each other, and we don't do that anymore. Well, who so, comes and helps me? You don't even change me light bulb. Oh, you won't even go up a ladder. Oh, enough of the bitterness on the light bulb. Right, you're, clear, you're clearly not into this book. I'm going to no, move on. Her. I'm going to move on. Right, go on. We've tell me about enough. your week. You don't like my book. Tell me about your bloody no, week. We've had enough of her. It's a good book. Read it. <laughs> this week's column is I got a phone call. Do you remember those when people spoke to you down a wire? No. No. Have you ever had anyone talk to you on the phone? Is it all virtual? The only people that that actually phone me on my landline is when they want money. It's companies where my direct debit's bounced and they want money. I would get no... You're saying you're not paid enough again, aren't you? <laughs> I get no people phoning me for my... unless it's for money. Anyway, I got a phone, a phone call, a voice call on my phone. Ring, 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 ring. It happens. And it turned out to be the XX who stood up and left flinging his napkin on the table after the main course of his special meal. Twat. It wasn't a text, it wasn't an email. It was an actual voice like someone from the 90s. It was as if Rick Astley just called me from the 80s. You don't speak to your men a lot on the phone, do you? I find that a bit weird. I don't like hearing their voice. No, but (laughs) but that's that's like an issue, isn't it? That's like an issue. If you don't like their voice, that's that's an issue. I thought at first when I heard a man on the phone, it was the person from Mini Harrogate talking to me about my test drive. Anyway, he said, have you got your hearing aids in? How rude. How rude. (laughs) He obviously wanted to make sure you could hear what he had to say. I've no idea why men think they can say personal things to me. I didn't say that I wanted to. Hello, have you lost any more teeth? Any more inches from your height? You do frequently do say personal things about him, though, don't you? You mention his enormous penis a lot. A lot. I could write a book about that, not yeah. a column. That's quite personal. He's, I mean, I'm sure he's not going to complain about being called enormous, but... Anyway, you're supposed to be on Team Liz. Shut up. <laughs> I have got my hearing aids in, thanks very much, I said. Though my dignity was dented slightly as I had to press the thing on my phone to make it turn up. Beep, 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 beep. I could just picture him rolling his small eyes. I'm seeing someone, he said. (gasps) We knew this would happen, didn't we? My stomach lurched. It was like the moment on the island off the coast of Africa when my then husband said, I never could resist a pretty face. And I realised he didn't mean me. Bastard. Why couldn't the XX not have been kept in a cupboard in lockdown a bit longer, Boris, until he aged a bit more? When we went out for dinner, I'd enjoyed seeing his car on my Uber app carrying him home. For once, I knew where he was. Now, him and his enormous penis, there it is again. Say, say. Are at liberty in the world, waving around. He continued, I wanted to let you know before you saw anything in the press... He's not Amy Winehouse, is he? (laughs) So I said rather meanly, and this is how quick I am off the mark, I think Melody Maker has closed down. Ouch. Ouch. 
I'd been wondering, actually, if he'd seen the piece my ex-husband wrote about me in the Telegraph a few weeks ago, the one that described me as a colonialist with a brown playboy. Nick only told me the other day my ex-husband piece had gone viral and you're supposed to be loyal. Well, it, it was about you. I'm being loyal. It was about you, wasn't it? That's why. Yeah, but you need to keep me alert to things. I did alert you. I did. You know when I know. Anyway, it's all been in the tabloids and it turns out I've been turned into the female equivalent of Harvey Weinstein. But if the XX had seen the piece, he didn't mention it. He has an alert, oh, I know this, on his phone that tells him every time his name comes up online. <laughs> He's I'm not busy the opposite. enough, is he? He's just not. I remember when I interviewed the late Tara Palmer Tompkinson. She told me she'd wake up every day to a text from a friend asking if she was okay. And her reaction, the same as mine, was mm. always, oh, God, what am I supposed to have done now? I tell him it's kind to forewarn me and ask if it's anyone I know. No, but I w just wanted to let you know she's younger than I am. Me, how much younger? She's 26. But well, I have jackets older than that, I said. How could you possibly find anyone that age interesting? What about, what are her antidotes? Does she have anything to say other than was born, went to school, I've been on my smartphone ever since? God. I bet she's like those young people on the chase. God, I hate them. When asked to name a Beatle, they say, bit before my time, Brad. So I said to him, you have children older than that. So he says, I don't know how you know that, seeing as how you never bothered to learn the names of my children, let alone my grandchildren. There are too many, I said. You never learned to put a head collar on Pony Benji. Yeah, well, it didn't really do anything, did he, to be... I'm not jealous, I swear I'm not. I just have no idea how she will put up with him, with his draggly, straggly eyebrows. He's peering at menus because he forgot his glasses his pot belly, the fact he's rude to waitresses and swears at other drivers, the fact he mansplains everything even though he can't start a lawnmower. He thinks the fact he's growing his hair long during lockdown makes him look like Robert Powell playing Jesus when in fact from behind people think he's Mary Beard. <laughs> Does she know you're my cast off, I asked him. Nah, young people don't read newspapers anymore. I'm beginning to wish I still drank. Well, what a bastard. <laughs> She's welcome to him. Well, at least he actually like had the decency to let you know. No, I think he was crowing. You think so? Yeah, like one of your chickens. <laughs> we need to find you now, like a 25-year-old super stud. I don't want parade. one. I don't want one. Remember, I went out with a 26-year-old, and look how that ended. I'm now Harvey Weinstein with stubble. So sorry to interrupt, Liz, but we have a very important announcement that might just interest your listeners. There's another Mail on Sunday podcast and it could change your life. It's called Medical Minefield. Yes, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. And that's with me, Barney Kalman, the Mail on Sunday's health editor. And me, Eve Simmons, the deputy health editor. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. 
Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. We've had lots and lots and lots, thousands of emails this week, haven't we, Nick, about the NHS? So many people talking about their experiences, talking about you and recommending different consultants for you and different treatments. I mean, literally too many to even pick yeah. any. But I had, um, they were all mainly positive, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I had another troll on Twitter who wasn't trolling me about headlines in the mail on Sunday. And this person said, Liz, you voted for Rishi Sunak. You shouldn't be driving and I'm going to report you to the police because that's illegal. You shouldn't drive when you've got vertigo. <laughs> So I was so upset having been trolled about Amy Winehouse and then I got trolled about being ill. So my reply on Twitter was, because I'm deaf, oh, and someone said, how could you hear what the consultant was saying when you're deaf? But that was the point of your piece, that you couldn't hear what he was saying. Did they not read it? So I replied, how dare you abuse a disabled person? Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.